Welcome back to the Hemingway List, Year of War and Peace. Talking about, what are we talking about here? Oh, no, I haven't opened up my page. We're talking about Book 1, Chapter 7. That's what we're talking about. It still feels fresh. Oh, I just saw, as I was opening that, another post on the A Year of War and Peace subreddit entitled, It Still Feels Fresh. And I want to investigate what that means. It Still Feels Fresh by Mr. Dragon 007. This is my first time reading War and Peace. I use the PV translation. I'm halfway through chapter chapter 7, hence almost caught up. And I have to say that it reads well and doesn't feel old-fashioned at all. With the characterization, dialogue, and prose, it's all a delight to read. I assume that many other readers experience it similarly. Yeah. Uh, it's surprising to me sometimes how modern some of the bits feel. Especially, like, there's bits where characters, like, just full-on sarcastic, where they're like, oh, real nice, mate, yeah, good one. You know, like, they just... And the, the sarcasm just feels so modern. And it's hard to it, kind of picture that 200 years ago. Anyway, uh, we're talking about Chapter 7. Oh, dear, what have those rascals been up to? Enter the Rostovs. A family, this family is a main character, yes, the whole family, and intrigue is afoot, a fortune is up for grabs. This comment from last year by user uh, Brian E. Denton, I'll read this out because it is very helpful. War and Peace features many characters and it can get confusing. Today, for example, we meet a, the Karagan family, that's K-A-R-A. Do not confuse them with the Kuragan families, K-U-R-A. The Karagans are Julie Karagina and her mother. Her mother is one talking gossip with the Countess Rostova. The Kuragans, that's Prince Vasily Kuragan and his sons Anatole Kuragan, Ippolit Kuragan, the two doofuses, and the beautiful Helena Kuragan, his daughter. We met Prince Vasily Kuragan in Chapter 1. We met Ippolit and Helena at Anna Pavlovna's soiree and Anatole, the other one, the other son, was the one who got drunk in the previous chapter and tied a bear to a policeman. As you can see, Russian speakers can explain better than I because uh, uh, Russian female names take the feminine form of the name. Yeah, that's the... Um, so the Kuragans... Oh, sorry, the Karagans. There's Karagina for the females and Kuragin for the males. Anyway, let's move past that. Triline trilingual... Fangirl says, since in the podcast you emphasize, and Lewis, that's me, that you'd like teenagers to be more inclined to read War and Peace through your modernized translation, I thought I'd mention that I'm 17 and I'm enjoying reading your translation alongside Maud. Thank you very much, trilingual fangirl. That's awesome to see. Got some teens in here studying the classics. Ashamed of my opinions, said I'm 17 too, doing the same. Nice to see I'm not the only one. I wouldn't be reading it if it weren't for this Year of War and Peace project, so you should give yourself a pat on the back and uh, for introducing this great book to so many people who would otherwise have no interest in such literature. Wow. Hey, uh, you make me feel too proud of myself. You make me feel all good. <laughs> Thanks for making me feel all good. Um, no, that does make me feel proud that if I can help... Uh, encourage some younger folk to tackle some of the classics i think that's a good thing all around rick a evans said i really loved this gossipy chapter it was interesting that rather than show us the immediate aftermath of the drinking scene 
Tolstoy presents it through the prism of a new set of characters. Although the discussion of Pierre's antics is quite bitchy, it's not entirely without good humour. It's too early to know what to make of the Rostovs, but they seem more genial hosts than rather mood modish Anna Pavlovna. The question of whether Count Bezikov's fortune will go to Vasily or Pierre feels like it will be important. Yeah, the fortune. I mean, when they mention a dying count with a fortune, you kind of know that... Yeah, We've all read stories before. We know that that uh, inheritance is going to be squabbled over. Greyboff said this, They tied a policeman and the bear back to back and put the bear in the Moika Canal, and there was the bear swimming about with the policeman on his back. Amazing. Had to pause, said a Will 109, after reading this and laugh out loud. I guess if you don't know what you want to do with your life, this is the immediate go-to, hey Pierre. <laughs> Greyboff says, we've all dabbled, haven't we? Hey, we have all dabbled. You know, once um, when I was about probably 17, there was a circus down the road from my house. This is a true story. There's a circus down the road from my house, just that kind of just commandeered this empty block. And it was a really weird thing because it was an empty block, you know, the size of a football field or bigger, but it was just in a suburban suburb with just houses everywhere. And then right in the middle of this block, all of a sudden there was just elephants, which is so weird to just see in an Australian suburb. And then, you know, they put up the tent and it became apparent that it was a circus. And so these elephants were just hanging out in this field down the street from my house for, you know, a week or more. Me and my one of my buddies, my high school buddies, we were having a couple of drinks you know, as teens I want to do on the weekend. And um, I was saying how I'd love to just have an awesome story, you know. And how awesome would it be to steal one of those elephants and take it for a little walk around the town? <laughs> and he was like, huh, yeah, that's funny. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I actually want to do this. And I was fully thinking along the lines and expressing that I know I'll get, you know, in trouble. Like, we're going to get caught if we do this. And we are going to be punished. But, you know, we're teenagers. We're not going to go to prison. We're not going to do hard time. We'll get a slap on the wrist. We might get in a bit of trouble. But I'm willing to take that trouble, to take those consequences, just so that for the rest of my life, I've got an awesome story about the time I decided to steal an elephant from the circus. So we um, we went down to the circus, walking down, and on the way, my friend, um, being a, the you know one of the school uh, stoners, had uh, a joint, and so we shared a joint, which I did back then, um, and it did. I guess it did the thing that it's always done, which is why I don't like um, uh, marijuana. It made me super paranoid. And then we kind of wussied out and we didn't steal the elephant. Um, so it never happened. <laughs> but for a good while there, I really was going to steal that elephant. So when you say we've all dabbled, Greyboff, that's what story comes to my mind. I kind of dabbled. I almost dabbled in, uh, you know, stealing massive animals. Grumpy Shakespearean said, it's interesting to me that Pierre could at all inherit, given his illegitimacy. I didn't know that was even possible. 
I also didn't know one could be exiled from Petersburg, banished to Moscow. I quite enjoyed hearing about his antics through gossipy women, 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 women. Sometimes stories like that are more funny when they're distilled down to the core elements and shared in the sober light of day when they're actually unfolding. Yeah, I thought it was a really good way to do it. And with um, Rostov, the the father, Rostov, what's his name? Um, Anyway, Rostov, Papa Rostov, being unable to control his laughter until everyone else kind of cracked up as well. That's a great way to to, uh, share the story with the reader. Um, Literal Snoop Og. (laughs) Literal Snoop Og said, Every translation has its its pros and cons. Very nicely done. M-C says, In this year of skipped family gatherings for Christmas, this extended family party of the Rostovs, with all the gossip, laughter and obligations, young cousins running amok in crowded rooms makes me nostalgic for large family gatherings. Feels like m.c, you've skipped fewer chapters ahead of us because we haven't met the younger cousins running amok yet, but we will in, I believe, the next chapter. Dagan Fish says, The contrast between Count and R- Countess Rostov is really striking. The Count is likeable and charismatic. The Countess who paid the price for his excess. Um... Twisted Every Way says, oh boy, a fun chapter. Pierre is a legit crazy drunk. The bear stuff is just killing me. Imagine. 12 kids by 45 is rough for the Rostovs. The Maud translation says that several Rostov characters seem to be based on members of Tolstoy's family. Very cool. Didn't know that. Uh, Totobos says, a great description of the scene at the Rostov name day party. Women's voices are heard interrupting each other and merging with the rustling of skirts and moving of chairs. Pierre's father, Count Bezikov, sounds like he may be dying, and both Vasily and Anna Mikhailovna think they've got some claim on the fortune. This is going to get ugly. Is Pierre ready for this? He is out dancing with bears and indulging in dreamy philosophizing. I think it's Vasily who's got the claim via his own wife. Warren Coffey says, have to say, the company Pierre keeps is a little more outrageous than I would have initially guessed. Tying a cop to a bear and tossing them both into a river. To say that this was a scandal seems a bit of an understatement. Reputation appears to be extremely important to these wealthy and prestigious families, so the stir it caused must have been profound. Just about every guest at the Rostov is discussing it. Um... (laughs) Uh... Okay, wait, sorry, I'm skipping ahead here. Brett Peterson says, I love this chapter. I can't believe they tied a bear to a policeman. Yep. I can't think of anything more Russian than that. <laughs> it sounds like they'd be, they are they were punished pretty harshly, though. Anatoly kicked out of the town where he was born and raised. Must have been hard. Yeah, it's good. Um, not good, but now we're being introduced to Moscow um, uh, in comparison to Petersburg, and that's a big... Uh, sort of theme of this book a theme or not really a theme but an ongoing sort of thing is the contrast between moscow and petersburg they're very different cities and we'll learn why as we continue but it's interesting to sort of learn about one being the younger and trendier and one being the more kind of old fuddy-duddy traditional russian city um it'll be interesting to see if pierre is affected by this in the future um where am I up to? I love Count Rostov. I would totally hang out with this guy. Yeah, me too. He seems like just the fun kind of father figure that just wants to laugh. 
just laughing and picturing a policeman on a bear's back. And then the women get all gossipy and he just calls back to the bear. Yeah, he's just like, how's that bloody bear though? I'm still thinking about that bear. Also, I'm glad people are discussing the different translations because Pierre was earlier described in another translation as someone who didn't know how to live. And in this chapter, Count Rostov was described as someone who enjoys life and knows how to live. I never realised how rich these posh wankers are, but 40,000 serfs, that's more than twice the population of my hometown. Yeah, wow, 40,000 serfs, which is essentially like 40,000 like cheap labourers. I was going to say slaves, but I think there's a slight point of difference. Oh, okay, I think we should just read the next chapter. Let me just have a quick scroll down here. Do, 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 do. Okay. Cool. We're ready. We're ready for the next chapter, aren't we? I think so. Let's keep moving. Where are we? Okay. What? What one do we just? <laughs> Sorry, I uh, have to find my place in this chapter. Okay. Just talk amongst yourselves, guys. I'll uh, be right with you. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong book. That would be why. <laughs> I'm looking at book two, not book one. All right, we need chapter nine, I think, or ten. In the more translation, scrolling, scrolling too far, scrolling back. How's your day been? This podcast, by the way, this is probably not the best time to do this, but I'm just trying to fill a bit of time, um, is brought to you by patreon.com slash the Hemingway list. That's what you can do to support the podcast is go there and donate. Cool. All right. I found my place. Chapter 11 is what we're reading in Maud. And chapter 11 goes like this. Or chapter, I think, what are we up to? Seven in the normal one. Got so many windows open. We're up to chapter eight. Okay. The room was silent for a beat. The countess looked nervously at her callers, wearing a, sma- a fake smile which failed to conceal that she wouldn't be at all bothered if they rose and left right now. The visitor's daughter was already smoothing her dress, shooting a meaningful look at her mother, when suddenly from the next room there was a commotion. There was the sound of boys and girls running to the door, the thud of a chair being knocked over, and then a girl of 13 came barreling into the room, hiding something in the folds of her dress. It was obvious that she hadn't meant to come into the room. Behind her in the doorway appeared a student with a crimson coat collar, an officer of the guards, a 15-year-old girl, and a boy with a plump red face wearing a short jacket. The Count sprung to his feet and moved, swaying side to side, quickly over to the girl who had run in and threw his arms around her. Ah, here she is, he laughed, my darling, whose name day it is, my darling girl. Ma chérie, don't encourage her, said the Countess with feigned severity. You'd let her get away with murder, I swear, Ilya, she added, addressing her husband. I wish you a happy name day, my dear. How are you? Good, said the visitor. What a charmer she is, she added to the Countess. This black-eyed girl, not pretty but with an attractive broad smile, with childish bare shoulders which, after running in, now heaved and shook her body, 
and with black curls tossed backwards, thin bare arms, little legs in lace-frilled drawers and feet in low slippers, was just at the in-between age where she wasn't a child anymore, but not quite a young woman. Extracting herself from her father's hug, she ran to her mother, hiding her red face in her mother's mantilla. She paid no attention as her mother made a severe remark and began laughing. She took the doll out of, from the folds of her frock and in fragmentary sentences between laughs tried to explain the joke. Mimi, my doll, see, she, do you see, was all Natasha managed to get out, for at that moment everything was far too funny to her. She leaned against her mother and let the laughter ring out of her in such a fit that their visitors couldn't help but join in. All right, get out of here and take that monstrosity with you, said her mother, but her sternness was now playful and turning to her visitors, she added, she's my youngest girl, with a shrug. Natasha lifted her face from her mother's mantilla, glanced at her through tears of laughter, then quickly hid her face again. The visitor, watching this family scene unfold, couldn't help but get involved, playing along with Natasha. Natasha, dear, tell me, is Mimi a relation of yours? Your daughter, maybe? Natasha suddenly turned serious and shot a visitor. The visitor, a confused look like, are you an idiot? It was nothing so childish as all that, thought Natasha. Meanwhile, the younger generation, Boris, the officer, Anna Mikhailovna's son, Nicholas, the undergraduate, the Count's oldest boy, Sonia, the Count's 15-year-old niece, and little Petya, his youngest boy, had all filtered into the drawing room trying to shake their giddiness and match the more civilised mood of this room. It was clear that whatever had been happening in the back rooms was far more wild and hilarious than what was happening in this one, and with its seats and old people and talk of society scandals, the weather and Countess Apraxina, they readied themselves to participate in this grown-up conversation and not to meet each other's eyes, but now and then they would, and then they had to try hard to suppress their laughter. The two young fellas, the student, who was their eldest, and the officer, whose mother was akin to dog shit on Vasily's foot, were about the same age and had been good mates since childhood. They were both handsome lads in their own ways. Boris was tall and fair, he had a calm and handsome face, quite normal-looking with delicate features. Nicholas was short, his hair held Rostov curls, and his upper lip already had a few dark hairs popping through. His expression was open and enthusiastic, betraying a hint of naive eagerness. He blushed when they had entered the drawing room, trying to find something to say, but failing to come up with anything. Boris nailed it, though, proving quite able to find his footing in any social situation, he quipped, rather calmly, that he had known Mimi since she was a young lady doll, before her nose was broken, and how she had aged poorly during the five years he had known her, her head now being cracked right across the skull. Saying this, he glanced at Natasha. She couldn't stand to look at him, the impulse to laugh being too great, so she instead turned to her younger brother Petra, who was screwing up his face and shaking with suppressed laughter. She couldn't control herself any longer. She jumped up and bolted out of the room as fast as her nimble little feet would carry her. Boris did not laugh. You're heading out soon, right, Mama? Did you want the carriage? He asked his mother with a smile. Yeah, could you please go tell them to get it ready? She answered, returning his smile. Boris quietly left the room and went in search of Natasha. The plump boy named Petra ran after them, as if pissy that their game had been interrupted. 
Alright, there you go. There's another chapter for you. Chapter 11, or aka Chapter 8. Hope you liked that one. Um, be back on the stream. Uh, I did a bit of a live stream today. Got another chapter done. I'm cruising through book two. Um, I think I'll be on tomorrow. If not, it'll be the next day. But go and subscribe on Launchpad Writers Club, the YouTube channel. Ding the bell. And next time I go live to do a bit of translation work, we can hang out. We can talk books. We can talk War and Peace. It's going to be awesome. All right. Thanks for listening, y'all. See you tomorrow.